0: this is tape number four of the series the destination of faith heaven by dr joel hunter the subject of this message is uniqueness of christians heaven modern religions viewpoint dr Hunter's scripture text is romans chapter eight verses one through four and from the new international version it reads as follows there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And now let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number 4. Uniqueness of Christians' Heaven, Modern Religion's Viewpoint. In this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven.
1: We are in a year-long study of faith. And in the first three or four months, we want to talk about the destination of our faith, as well as the foundation of our faith, which is heaven. And part of that discussion of heaven is to build... An understanding of how Christians perceive heaven, and so sometimes it's very good to compare and contrast with what others believe about heaven in order that we can see more clearly what we believe. Last week, we talked about the primitive religions, and we said that the common thread in the primitive religions is that they understood heaven in terms of improved circumstances, Now, we also said that there is a primitive element in Christianity, that is, immature Christianity, that sees heaven as a wonderful place that will be more fun to live in. But, as you grow in Christ, you come to understand that, as Vernon says, heaven is not about a place, but about a person. That heaven is not mainly, in the primitive terms, about the improvement of our circumstances, but about the intimacy we have with Christ and how close we will be to him in the future. Now this week we're going to talk about the major religions of the world because they too have an element that we have taken to our somewhat misunderstanding of what heaven is. And so because of this common element of all people, Uh, we want to go over these major religions and we want to talk about how different Christianity is. Now, let me say this. I really respect the people in these religions. And I will not treat them disrespectfully. As a matter of fact, I've made every effort, even though I'm a student of comparative religions, I've made every effort to form a relationship with a believer in these religions so that what I can say to you comes from them and not just from my own Christian perspective. It really bothers me to have somebody talking about Christianity that's not a believer in Christianity. It always comes out in the wrong way. You know, something's been misrepresented. And so I've done everything I could to not misrepresent them. As a matter of fact, I will present them to you as having qualities that Christianity could learn from, some qualities. If there was a verse of the Bible to sum up what all other major religions believe about heaven, both about heaven and how to get to heaven, I think a good verse would be Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. It says this, It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe, that is, uh, in uh, Hebrew, it is uh, to heed or uh, obey, if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as He commanded us, here's what I want you to hear. It will be righteousness for us. What they are doing is mounting up, earning righteousness. If, there's a condition there, we are careful to observe all. There is a a, a quantity or a scale Observe all of this commandment for the Lord God who gave it to us. Now, let me talk for a little while about, first, the Far Eastern religions. Hinduism. Hinduism uh, really isn't just one religion. It is uh, many. Um, um, Let me start out like this. If truth were a matter of personal values... And your highest personal value was that of tolerance and inclusion of others, you would want to become a Hindu. I say that because Hindus believe that there are many ways to God. And that there are many, those who strive toward God will get there. Hindus don't believe in one God, they believe in many gods. There are hundreds of gods in Hinduism. As a matter of fact, if you are a Christian and you are witnessing to a Hindu and you say, "Jesus wasn't just a prophet; Jesus was God," they will say, "No problem. You know, I got 800 gods. Might as well have another one. Bring him on." You know. So they're very, very inclusive. I remember a couple of years ago going to a Hindu uh, service. That's what we would call it, a Hindu service. It was right here in Orlando, by the way. Um, it, was in a, it was under a tent, and a, and a Swami or a guru had come to town to teach. And I went in there, and of course I'm the only pale-faced Westerner in a bunch. I mean, you can pick me up, you know. But I, you, know, you take off your shoes and you go in, and, you, and it was interesting stuff. It really was. And I remember the manner of the people. They were so accepting, so tolerant, so um, inclusive, and I really appreciated that. Their way to heaven, or what we would, we would say is heaven, um, their way to the undifferentiated Brahman is that process of moral and behavioral improvement in this life so that you can reach a higher stage in the next life. There is a dynamic called karma. Karma is the residue of what you have left here. It's your grade for this life, so to speak. So that you can be advanced when you are reincarnated into the next life. And through many of these cycles, hopefully one day you will get to that place that we would say would be heaven. Now, even that is not always a permanent state with a Hindu. You may be recycled. But the the deal is to get off of this endless cycle of reincarnation. Now, as I said, there is great toleration, but there's also great frustration um, in, in, in the Hindu life because their view of heaven is escape and they don't quite know what they escape to because heaven has not been fully detailed. Uh, but they just know that it would be nice to get off the cycle. Let me talk about Buddhism for a while. If truth were a matter of personal value, and your highest personal value was selflessness, selflessness, you would want to become a Buddhist. Now, Buddhism is not properly a religion. It does not worship a transcendent God. Buddhism is more a way of life. It's a philosophy that's a way of life. But the ground uh, 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 philosophical understanding in Buddhism is that all life is suffering and disappointment. And and suffering mainly comes from the craving that individuals have. And so in order to end the suffering, the way is to stop the craving, and the way to stop the craving is to stop individuality. And so... The goal of a Buddhist is literally to eliminate his individual life that makes him or her want for more. As a matter of fact, nirvana, which would be their word for heaven in our terms, nirvana literally means to blow out, as you would blow out a candle. To become at one with the universe so that you are no longer an individual That craves. So here we are uh, at Shakespeare's uh, point. It reminds me of a a, a line in uh, As You Like It. There's a character that said, I to the world am like a drop of water that in the ocean seeks another drop, who falling there to find his fellow forth, unseen, inquisitive, confounds himself. That is, just as a drop of ocean water dropped into the ocean becomes undifferentiated from all the rest, so a Buddhist life seeks to leave his individuality and become at one with the universe. Again, he does this through the process of karma, through the process of reincarnation, trying for a more selfless and and, and holy life. And maybe someday he will be able to get there and they are very unselfish. They want to bring all... The, the, the biggest heroes in their faith are people who wouldn't go to heaven when they had a chance until everybody else went with them. Which is a very neat quality, isn't it? However, Christianity is different than both of them. Christianity says heaven is not an escape. It's an arrival at home. Christianity also says that we are not for the elimination of the individual personality. God made individuals... For purpose of relationship, you can't have a relationship without having an individual. And so, therefore, our individuality stays forever. But again, the wonderful qualities are the tolerance and the selflessness that you find in the Far Eastern religions. Now, let's jump over to the Middle Eastern religions. Let's talk first about Judaism, which is our mother religion. There is not a developed notion of heaven in Judaism. You can read the Old Testament. You will not see a developed notion of heaven. To a Jew, heaven is an expendable concept. Because a Jew uh, is uh, worships the Jehovah, the God of history. And so you could literally remove the concept of heaven from Judaism and not really disturb it very much. You couldn't do that with Christianity. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, that means Christ has not been resurrected and we are of all people to be most pitied. It says also that if there is no resurrection, all of our beliefs have been in vain. You cannot remove heaven from Christianity and have the same faith. So it's instrumental to Christianity. But let me talk about Judaism. Judaism, wonderful, wonderful religion. If you... If, if truth were a personal value and your highest personal value were that of historical community, you would want to become a Jew. Because Jews don't think mainly in individual terms. Jews think in terms of, of a cultural identity. And what God did, he did for the Jewish people. And Even Jews who believe in the resurrection, the Jews are resurrected to become a part of the future nation of Israel that will rule over the world. And so, a Jew sometimes accurately says, Christians are very selfish thinking about their own personal salvation. Uh, This is about a community thing. This is about a group process. Jews also would very much stick to the Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 25 verse we read. They see the process of getting to heaven if there is a heaven, as an accumulation of good works. If we keep all the law, all the commandment. It will be reckoned to us as righteousness. That is, go into our personal account. They they, they understand, and this is where many Christians have not a full understanding. They understand heaven to be a result of people's goodness. You go to any funeral home, and, the, and, and you will hear this conversation. I know this guy's in heaven because he was a good man. So they... They understand this, and, and they can't. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a rabbi, a, a conservative rabbi. I'm developing a wonderful relationship with this guy. I enjoy him tremendously, and I knew I was going to be talking about heaven, so I was asking him what he believed about heaven. When you ask a Jewish person what they believe about heaven, they become suspicious immediately, uh, or some of them do. And, and so this guy <laughs> eyeballs me and said, "What do you believe about heaven?" So I told him a little bit, and I said, "But seriously, you know what? What do you think about heaven?" He says, well, let me tell you what my fundamentalist Baptist neighbor says about heaven. I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, man, he got something stuck in his craw, and I'm about to get it right here. He says, listen to this. This guy goes on vacation. I go out. I get his paper. I take care of his pets. He comes home. He still tells me I'm going to hell. He goes, what is that? You know? Go figure. What is that? You know? And he can't, you know... To him, you know, I did the guy a good turn and he still thinks I'm going to hell. What's the deal here? Well, that's because it's connected with good behavior and the accumulation of good behavior. Let's talk about Islam for a while. Islam in many respects, believe it or not, is the closest when it comes to heaven and hell to Christianity of any of the faiths. It's a very well-developed picture of heaven and hell. Islam... If truth were a matter of personal value and your highest personal value was that of morality and submission to almighty God, you would probably want to become Islamic because they have the most clearly defined gradation and method toward morality that you've ever seen. There are no gray areas. There are no mysterious areas. You know, there's, you know, Christianity has this thing called the Trinity. Nobody can describe this. It's mysterious. It's beyond our understanding. You don't have that. You've got a very, in the Quran, you have a very well-systematized um, 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 guidance through Allah to goodness. Many of you know I am forming a friendship with uh, the imam of central Florida. Muhammad Buzri. Wonderful man. I I enjoy his friendship tremendously. And I have, uh, as I've been initiating this friendship, trying to learn, I've always been a student of comparative religions, but trying to learn from him about uh, Islam. Um, I've made many stupid mistakes. You know, Uh, one time his wife came into the office while we were talking. You know, of course, in the traditional Muslim garb and very modest and so on and so forth, his wife is going to... uh, Uh, Medical school. She comes in. First thing, stupid Westerner gets up, goes, Hi, Joel Hunter. She said, Oh, we don't touch. Oh, I knew that. I can't can't believe I did that. I'm sorry. You know? Get dream. So, anyhow, I've done, made a lot of dumb, dumb mistakes, and he's been very forgiving, very tolerant. He's explained to me, you know, the, the gradations and the ways the details to goodness that they have. You know, for example, I've talked about his wife becoming a doctor, and he said, well, a a, a Muslim woman, uh, there there is a scale of preference on what doctor you go to see. If there's a female Muslim who is ill, she will first go to a female Muslim doctor. If one of those is not available, then she would go to, and I can't remember the exact order, but I think... A, a female non-Muslim doctor, and then a male Muslim doctor, and then a male non-Muslim doctor, and so on and so forth, you know very, um, very well set up. He, as a matter of fact, he, he shocked me one day we were talking about um, prayer in school, and uh, he said, "You know, if we did not have a school here, they have a school at the Majid, which is the the uh, Muslim word for what we would call church." And I go down there, and here again is the only white guy around, you know, I'm walking on all these little kids in their little white things, it's really cool. Look at him, what's he doing here? But he said, if we did not have a school here, I would send these children to a conservative Christian school rather than a public secular school, because at least there they would connect truth with God. So... The point of this is that in Islam, you have a very well-developed, very well-defined system of morality. The, the, in, the, in the Quran, it talks about um, the, de- the degrees of perfect justice. When, we, when, when, when Judgment Day gets here, God will judge perfectly accurately. It talks about heaven, seven, or eight levels of heaven, seven levels of hell and even the ability maybe to make some progress after life, you know. But it's always according to what you've done and what your attitude was and so on and so forth. And so here we have a common theme that is akin to karma in all of these religions. And that is that heaven is mainly seen in terms of accurate justice for the way we've lived. And heaven is up to us. And where our destiny is, is totally up to how we behave and who we are. Now, let me describe to you the vast difference between those faiths and Christianity. It is significant. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to the 8th chapter of Romans. and Let me read to you the text for the day. This is a wonderful chapter of the Bible. If you have time this week, even if you don't, read this chapter. Again and again, it is so encouraging. It is so wonderful. I love Romans 8. It tells us so much. But we'll just take the first four or five verses. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, in every one of these systems... There are levels that you could have reached, but you didn't. So no matter how good you do, you could have done better. In Christianity, there is this thing where you are in the presence of God, period. There are rewards, we'll talk about those later. But everyone has the same access, and there is no, regard. There is no condemnation. God doesn't stand there and say, I heard this the other day, it made me shiver. I hate to get to heaven and God say, look at what you could have been. Now, can't you just see him doing that? What, God's a Jewish mother? What? Look at what you could have been. You know? You're going to get to heaven and part of it's going to be accusation? Come on. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want to tell you why. It's not just good enough to know the facts. It's, 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 It's important to know why. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is, there is a spiritual law that supersedes the earthly law. In verse 3, it tells us what it is. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christians' understanding of God is not that God is any less just, or that the requirements of the law are any less uh, attainable, or that... um, um, God winks at sin in any sense and says, ah, pff, forget it. But the price for sin, Christians understand, can't be paid by us. We can't do it. We can't be good enough. Because we've got this weak flesh. And those who are Christians are the ones who have said, God, I can't pay it. I can't do it. I have failed. I have sinned. I can't do it. And, the, lo- and the, f- the farther you get in Christianity, the more grateful you are because the more you realize... That, you know, let me just describe myself to you. I am underneath this yellow-bellied, sap-sucking, returned to his vomit dog who will justify and rationalize whatever feels good in my life. Left to myself, that's exactly who I am. But God, in His mercy pays the price that we might have perfect justice in Jesus Christ who paid all the price for our sins but then be seen in terms of a relationship with God and that's a whole different thing let me describe that to you last night we had again the kids come down and I just, I'm enjoying this more all the time the kids came down for a, for a children's sermon they do that on Saturday nights and uh, As they were coming down, I was looking at these kids, and they are just, tear your heart out, cute, precious. I mean, you can just spot them. You know, you just do appraisals as you go along. One of the things that I was thinking to myself is, I don't think anybody's out there trying to appraise how good or bad these kids are. I don't think that in our thinking, because there are church family kids, our first thought is, You know, I bet he ranks about an 8 on a 10. Or he ranks about a 2 on a 10. Now, there are definitely more compliant kids and some more booger-headed kids, you know, on the scale up here. Everybody knows that. But that's not how we perceive the kids. That's not the first thought we have, is how good or bad are they. Why? Because we have a relationship with them. Because they're our kids, and we see them through that relationship. Neither do we say. How smart are they? How much do they know? How accurate is their knowledge? That's not the terms upon which we judge them. Kevin was given the children's sermon and he came out. He wanted to talk about the difference between uh, having to earn heaven and having heaven as a gift. So he brought brought out this beautiful package that was wrapped in bow on it and all of that kind of stuff. And he, he held it up and he said, what have I got in my hands? Well, what he was trying for was the word gift. But kids, you know, always shout out the answers. And this one kid over here said, I bet it's an empty box. (laughs) There's a kid that's been disappointed a few times. (laughs) And I bet there are a few of you out here also. Another kid said, oh, it's a present, you know. Another kid said, what a wonderful boat. They couldn't come up with the word gift. One, one kid, this is, this is hilarious. You can always tell kids that have been in church forever. Because any time somebody doesn't come up with an accurate answer, they've always got a stock answer that nobody can refute. This kid shouts, you got Jesus there, don't you? <laughs> it's a box for crying out loud. <laughs> but everybody has been in church for very long knows that, you know, it's always going to Jesus, so they just get there, you know. You know, nobody's going to say, no, it's not Jesus, you know. (laughs) So he had the system down. But the point is that we weren't judging them on the amount of their knowledge. We were judging them by virtue of our relationship with them. Now, certainly some are more compliant and some are more and certainly some know more and some know less, and that has consequences in their lives and it will have consequences. But overall, We don't look at perfect justice as they have earned it in order to coldly and objectively evaluate them. We look through our love that covers a multitude of sins. That's exactly what God does with us. We're not just little composites of good or bad behavior, of accurate or inaccurate knowledge. The Bible says... In John chapter 1, verse 12. For as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right or the power. In Greek, it's exousia. It is a bestowed authority. Something you can never earn. Something you never have in yourself. But something that somebody gives you. To them he gave exousia to become the children of God. And once you become a child of God... God takes care of you according to His love, not according to your love. Let me give you a wonderful parallel of that that I read this week. It was a parable to me. Orlando, my colleague, Pastor Orlando, came in and he says, "Hey, I want you to read this. And it was a little booklet about a, name, about a man named uh, Robertson McQuilkin who um, for years... Was the uh, president of Columbia International University and uh, Bible Seminary, uh, Columbia uh, Bible School. One of the largest in the nation, brilliant man. Uh, had a wonderful marriage uh, for 30 some years with his wife. And he writes this pamphlet and talks about one day she began uh, repeating the same story over and over again. And he took her to a doctor and through many processes. They determined that she had Alzheimer's disease. And it was progressing. And he said. I just felt the privilege. Of caring for her. But I knew there would come a time. When I would be. Faced with the decision. Whether or not to carry on the ministry. Or whether to spend full time with my wife. Now. The process that came after that really somewhat surprised me because there were many who surrounded him that gave him biblical but ungodly advice let me say that again you can give biblical but ungodly device or advice if it's the words of the Bible without the Spirit of God it's biblical without being godly and this is what they told him I'm sure out of wonderful motives but they were just mistaken. They said, look, you know, the the Bible says that that we're called to follow Jesus. And, and sometimes we've got to give up mother and father and sister and brother. And, and you know, God will understand. Uh, uh, if you follow this calling and, and you just leave the care of your wife to others, he'll understand that. it's, it's part of what he demands of you. And besides, they said, someday she will get to the place where she doesn't even realize you're caring for her. So all of the care will be unrealized, unappreciated. Well, he tells about the progress of the disease. He tells about leaving one day, leaving the house one day, and driving away, not realizing that his wife is so panicked without him that she runs in her bathrobe after her, after him. He doesn't look in the rear view mirror and so here she is running down the highway trying to find him bare feet and somebody saw her and who knew her and brought her back to the house but when he went home that night and and had to get her ready for bed he he had to wipe the blood (laughs) the blood off of her feet because she needed him so badly he decided he wouldn't leave her anymore He talked about how she couldn't communicate with him anymore. That she would just say sentences that wouldn't make any sense. Save one sentence. Years later, she could still say the words, I love you. And she said it over and over again. Now she's to the place where she can't say anything, can't feed herself, can't do anything on her own. And he writes, it is not my job to take care of her. It is my privilege. I don't have to. I want to. I love her. Whether she realizes it or not, I love her. I thought, what a perfect analogy to God's love. How... Unreciprocated is his love. How many times do we decide that we're going to act better for him and we don't? You know, the scripture talks about, in Jeremiah chapter 2, it talks about leaving the, the eternal wellspring of water and, and trying to contain water in our own cisterns, broken cisterns. There's an analogy to righteousness, leaving God's righteousness and trying to have a righteousness of our own. But there's a problem We leak. We leak. There's even more of an appropriate scripture to this analogy in the first chapter of James. It talks about people who who see the law, but they don't do the law. Being like people who look in a mirror and see their image. The Bible says as soon as they turn away, immediately they've forgotten who they were. How many of you trying to be better people? trying to have this quality of Christ, pledging to yourself, I'll do this, immediately forget about it. But you know what? He still loves you. He still loves you. Not because of the quality of your love or reciprocation, but because of the quality of His. He still loves loves you. What we have in Jesus is not perfect justice according to what we've done, but according to how he's loved. It is not about improving circumstances as the primitive people thought, nor is it about improving your performance as the modern religions think. It's about understanding how great God's love is for you. And understanding that it's only Jesus that creates that relationship where He will love you according to His ability instead of according to yours. Pray with me. God, I appreciate all of the religions of the world. We can learn from them. I appreciate the tolerance and the inclusiveness of the Hindus. I appreciate the selflessness of the Buddhists. I appreciate the sense of community and 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 family of the Jews. I, I appreciate the wonderful clear system of morality and submission to God of, of the Islamic people, of the Muslims. But God I look at all of that and I still can't be good enough. I still can't earn my own way and I recognize that. And I long for them to have what they must search for. A relationship that covers a multitude of sins. Secure forever. Being loved and loving back. God help us to tell them That it's available. There may be people in here this morning that don't understand it's not about being good enough. It's about receiving what Christ has done. Lord, let them say, God, I want to receive Him, become a child. So that you look at me not as a judge, but as a father. Not through the eyes of someone who will give cold Objective, substantive, scaled grades, but someone who can want for me what I'm not smart enough to want for myself and nurture me to that point. Help us to recognize the astonishing love you have for us and to say, even though we don't always realize how much you care. I love you. Amen.